Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Hello there. Occasionally I like to replay an episode that had a really strong reaction in a positive way, of course. And so I am offering Jason Marino to you again because it is one of the most listened to and I've gotten the most comments from his episode. So have a listen. Let us know what you think. And have a good week or weekend or whatever it is that you're enjoying in life. An expert is someone who knows some of the worst mistakes that can be made in his subject and how to avoid them. And that is a quote by Werner Heisenberg. So welcome again to The Profitable Photographer. I'm super excited that you have found this show. I'm just so grateful. And uh, just a reminder to go to lucydumascoaching.com, Lucy with an I, and you'll see some gifts. You'll see an online course you could register for, or you could just get in touch with me. I'm really so jazzed to have Jason Marino on the show today. I met him at WPPI, and he was on a panel discussion, and I just loved his energy and his insights. And so you get to love that too. So Jason, welcome to my show. Hey, good morning. Yeah, I hope everybody loves it. Yeah. <laughs> if they don't, drive on. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee your money back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Jason is known throughout the photography industry as a lighting business and client experience expert, along with his wife. He co-helms a multi-brand photography company in a dusty Arizona town just outside of Vegas. Is Kingman on the Highway 66? Uh, yeah, sure is. Yeah. 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 So if you've heard that song about that, you'll hear Kingman is one of the stops. Yeah, yeah. It says Kingman, uh, Arizona. Yeah. That's right. Okay, <laughs> let's just sing something. today. Don't yeah. forget Wawona. No. Wawona or something like that. Yeah. Yep. yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now that'll be in my head for, right. for the day. So he has a client roster that spans the globe, a bustling studio that has grossed well over a million dollars in recent years. And he keeps a busy speaking calendar, which I'm glad to hear about that. <laughs> and he makes regular appearances at notable conferences and educational summits. So Jason... Thank you so much for saying yes. I'm glad to be here. That's uh, that's quite a uh, biography. I, I didn't realize how it sounds when read back. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> so in a nutshell, I would love to hear just how you got started or why you got started in the photography industry. What's your training or what's your... Yeah, well, the photography industry is kind of an accident. My wife intentionally has been a photographer since she was in high school. She's always had a, an affinity for it and was a huge uh, enthusiast and hobbyist. And then as she became an adult, she wanted to go to school for photography, ended up going in a different direction and, uh, you know, became a business owner, but always maintained, you know, photography on some level uh, and would do work on the side and things like that here and there on weekends and just, just kind of 
occasionally. When we met back in about 2005, she was like, yeah, I, I do photography as well. Uh, I shoot here and there. And so it ended up that my sister asked her to photograph her wedding, I think in early 2006. Uh, a couple of my bandmates asked her to photograph their weddings in 2007 and eight. And right around that time, I thought, this is really fascinating. I kind of want to, you know, get into this with you because I was watching her work while I was at weddings. <laughs> and uh, so I, uh, at one of the weddings for one of my bandmates, I actually grabbed like this little cheap point and shoot she had and asked her if it was okay, but I took a few pictures along with her and uh, immediately like fell in love with the process. And after a little bit more time of that, I, you know, just here and there, I was like, Hey, maybe, maybe uh, we should do something more with this and maybe make it a bigger part of our life and, and create a real business. And so we did had that discussion and decided to do that. And around 2000, you know, eight, nine, we did it for real and, uh, you know, got extra equipment so I could shoot and, and turned it into an actual business. And it quickly kind of blossomed from there. Awesome. Yeah. So Kingman's not a very big town, correct? No, it's not very big. There's probably, I mean, it's not tiny, but there's about 30,000 people that live here. But we're in the middle of all these other major cities. So we're, you know, 90 minutes from Las Vegas. We're two and a half hours from Phoenix. We're four hours from Southern California and Lynn Empire, five hours to LA. Flagstaff, Sedona, Prescott. I mean, we're we're near everything um, yes. within just a short drive. Uh, so our business was never particularly focused in Kingman, actually. And we really quickly had our business focused in bigger cities. So we were immediately working in Scottsdale and Phoenix, Las Vegas, and just other big cities in the region within, you know, 100, 200 miles from here. Mm. So what I appreciate about you sharing that is, I read a lot of posts in Facebook where people say, I just don't live in an area where I can charge that or I can have a thriving business. And I think that that's encouraging for people to think about, oh, well, what's within five hours from me and expand out. So, um, yeah, you know, think bigger. And at the same time, if, if there's nothing for, I don't know, 10 hours from us, Maybe we might want to move, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a tough. That's a tough. Now, and then the thing is, is that you know our story uh, um, really kind of progresses and changes. You know, going into 2016, after many many years as wedding photographers, to where we became portrait focused and didn't want to mm. travel because over that time we grew to be our company and recognition kind of went up really quickly. And by 2012, 2013, suddenly it was, hey, you guys are in demand. Can you go to the, another country? Can you go to the other side of the country? Can mm. you uh, go to all these different places? And by 2015, we were, uh, you know, we were shooting about 20 or 25 weddings a year, which doesn't sound like a lot for some people. But we also had like four kids that were in uh, elementary and middle school. And they were all becoming athletes and spending a lot of time uh, competing in sports. And we were gone like every other weekend. And then we were also stuck in our office for the for the week and a half we were home before we had to leave again. Mm -hmm. So that got really old really quick, and we just didn't want to keep doing it at that at that speed. So we we uh, discovered that we could uh, transition into portraiture and work more close to home mm -hmm. and even at home and make the same money, make better money, uh, and that's what we decided to do. So yeah, yeah, I I did weddings, Jason, for twelve years, and. At a certain point, my max was 30 per year because there's so much work involved. And I wasn't flying all over the 
country in the world. So yeah, and I had no kids and it was still a lot. So how did you make that transition? Uh, well, we we took a um, like a week-long educational uh, course in person uh, with a gentleman named Steve Saparito from Australia. Yeah, we're good friends. He's been oh, okay. he's been on my show. So right. hey, Steve. Yeah, so we learned uh, learned a whole bunch from him, and also learned a lot from our friends at Fundy Software and Andrew Funderburg. You know, mm-hmm. he, he helped a lot, like helping us kind of sculpt and and uh, change our business to what we needed it to be. And we took parts from what Steve told us or taught us and uh, applied it to how it would work best for our business instead of for everybody. We wanted to adapt it to us. So we took the parts we loved the most, used those, worked with uh, Andrew and found an approach that's best for us. And uh, here we are. So do you still do weddings if someone asks or did you do a like, nope, I'm done? How did you negotiate that? We don't advertise them anymore and we don't really make any effort to uh, get them. Um, They just kind of occasionally one will come to us. So we actually have two of them uh, booked for, we have one booked for later this year that we just booked. And then we have one next year in April and that's it. So usually about one a year and it's got to be something we like with people we like and somewhere we want to be, or uh, just with a really cool kind of vibe to it or something. So it has a really coalesce into something that we want to be part of. We won't just kind of take anything because the the money of it isn't really that important at this point. Right. So you didn't like hire someone to do your weddings and add them to your company. You No, we, we tried that years ago. We had an associate shooter and it was just incredibly complicated and it wasn't a good fit and it just really just wasn't a good thing for us at all. And so we, uh, we quickly decided that wasn't a good idea and moved on. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that you have two studios. You have a high-end and a volume studio. Is that correct? Yeah, we have two different businesses. Yeah. Um, we have a portrait studio here in downtown, like right off Route 66 and like our old vintage, you know, downtown area, which is really cool. But we also run a, a separate business that is a volume school and sports business, hmm. which is crazy because we never <laughs> in a million years thought we'd be doing something like that. And it's funny because it's quickly become like its own um pretty incredible business of its own. It kind of blows our minds because again, it was kind of a joke at first. It was just something we were doing for fun. And now it's it's actually a serious business. So with that, I'm assuming you have associates that help you with that. Yes. Yeah. So with that business, we actually have staff. Um, it started out with Joe and I just doing some sports here and there and the two of us working and it quickly grew to like having five or six or seven employees. Um, and then we realized that we don't want to have to do the shooting for that either. And if we, it's very um, formulaic. So if we just basically get everything down to where we can show up and manage the situation and just kind of make sure everybody's going good and keep a lookout on things and deal with mm-hmm. like interacting with the, the staff at the schools and stuff, uh, we can allow other people to take pictures. And so that's what we've worked really hard to do. Right. And then by adding automation processes to our uh our workflow mm-hmm. after the fact, it's really changed a lot of things. So we use uh, photo day, which photo day manages everything from all the marketing to the parents and everything like that. Uh, and deals with the schools deals with fulfillment through our lab and everything. We use AI software like Fido, uh, which is part of the image salon. Um, and their software goes in and actually does the uh, color correction and an exposure adjustments and all that great stuff for our pictures. And we don't have to touch them. And mm-hmm. then we also use Aftershoot and Aftershoot goes in and calls our pictures for us and finds the best ones from what we photograph. And then we even use auto cropping software from, from PixNub 
that does like auto head sizing for us and crops the pictures automatically. So there's, we basically got it down to where we just import photos and kind of walk away and go drink coffee, watch TV or whatever. And we get to come back and make money. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Pretty cool. So do you have two separate websites and sort of branding and everything? So they don't get scrambled together or are they both on the same websites and such? Yeah, it was very important for us to differentiate between the two businesses because one business is very much a luxury business where a client that comes in is being treated as if they're buying, you know, a supercar, they're buying a Ferrari, you know, they're coming in and they're being, it's a whole other level of experience. And Uh with the uh, volume brand, you don't have time to do that because it's all about numbers. It's very much just business, business, business. Um, Of course, we have good customer service. We still take care of people the same way we do in our luxury brand, but we can't dedicate 90 minutes uh, on the phone with somebody with that brand. So we have two separate brands, two separate names, and we keep them apart from one another so that no one conflates the two. And we don't have to worry about people saying, hey, I'm disappointed that you didn't give me this kind of treatment when you (laughs) had a $20 portrait for my kid. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you use the database from those people to to give them the opportunity to discover your luxury brand or are they kept completely separate? Uh, so there's ways you can do that that aren't intrusive, but we don't take that. Uh, there's the database and start sending them emails and spamming them. You can uh, you know, drop a marketing flyer in through your lab into like the packets that go home mm-hmm. with the pictures. And so it could say, Hey, you know, inquire about senior pictures or something. It's, we could drop those in all the ones for like the freshmen, juniors, and, you know, sophomores and juniors at a high school, for instance, so that they can think about that when senior year is coming up and know to reach out to us. So we can do little things like that, but we don't do any type of uh, direct marketing otherwise. I've thought with some of my coaching clients who are doing some volume, but, um, seasonal them offering a gift certificate to people that have purchased a bigger package let's say in a holiday session of a a complimentary session or something you probably have so many like volume i'm guessing is big volume thousands and thousands of people so yeah yeah, and and we probably aren't doing things the right way <laughs> it's not that we do it the best way um we probably could try to take advantage of that more. I suppose that we are at the point where we're happy with the size of our company and don't want to work any more than we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I know it sounds crazy, but we're just want to coast where we're at. We're, yeah. we're good. Yeah. 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 And, and before, like if people s- saw me speak, people are gonna be surprised to hear this too, because I just ah. started kind of talking about this in the last six months, but uh, it all kind of uh, changed in the last, uh, this, this past year, since the new year, we decided that we were good and we're happy and, we don't need anything else. Um, but before that, it was like, hey, grind, 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 make mm-hmm. as much as you can. And now I'm like, no, nah, I want to relax. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had an interview with my friend Mitch Graff, who teaches motivational, not just to photographers. And he his goal is to help people live like they're uh, like it's the weekend all the time. Yes. So it sounds like you decided, yeah, life is short. Why am I doing this? So I'm sure now it's easier for you to get clients because you're, you've been out there, you're visible, you've got probably a lot of great referrals. As you were switching to weddings to portraits and then got traction in how to attract your ideal clients, what are some, some of your best marketing 
plans that worked for you? Well, so Joe and I are have never been like considered marketing experts, and we've been fortunate that, as strangely as it sounds, being in a small town has been helpful for us mm-hmm. when it comes to our portrait business because we are the you know the big fish here. Everyone knows us. Everyone knows my wife. She's been here most of her life. And so that definitely opens some doors, but we also back that up with, uh, you know, being excellent at what we do. Um, and, but what, what some of the tips are and some of the things you can do and things we've attempted to do is by building relationships with some of the bigger corporations here, like the hospital here is the biggest employer in the County. Mm. Uh, and we have great relationships with the hospital and work with a lot of the, um, we go in and do headshots sometimes for the, uh, residents and things like that. Some of the doctors and building relationships has really been the number one thing that's worked for us outside of any other type of specific marketing. So, you know, doing headshots, for instance, for a realty firm, those guys remember that we're photographers because we bring them into our studio and do their headshots. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, when they're in our studio, we talk to them about the other work we do very casually. And we casually bring up the artwork on the Mm -hmm. walls and casually bring up albums. And people always uh, tend to find their way back to us because they're like, Hey, I came in for a headshot and uh, I got a kid graduating next year. I'd love to talk to you about senior pictures. So it's been relationship building. It's really been Uh number one and it doesn't really matter who we're building those relationships with, we're just always, always, always trying to solidify and create more relationships. Right. So you've got a storefront studio in town. So you've got that built-in advertising of somebody just walking by and being like, hey, there's a studio there. And your work, oh my gosh, it's so dramatic and like you have a lot of energy. I'm sure people can figure that out. You have like a like a really comfortable intensity. And when I see your work, um, and I'm assuming it's Joe is also photographing, yep. but, but yep. there's like this skill you have of, of lighting and adding power and such. That's sort of like the polar opposite of my work, which is all soft and mushy and natural light. So I'm always uh, really excited to see somebody doing some things that I think, Oh my gosh, I wouldn't even know how to do that, but I love it. So that's very kind of you to say. I think that I think that Joe and I express ourselves. I mean, not that we're any different than anybody else, but we really express who we are and you see who we are in the photos. And when Mm -hmm. you look at me, I look like the photos I take. And you look at Joe and she looks like the photo she takes. And and when you bring those two things together, you know, I was a street kid and got into like punk rock bands and was a musician for like 20 years. And Mm -hmm. Joanne's always been more of this like very um, classy person who is accessible, but Mm -hmm. likes, likes luxury and likes, uh, you know, likes to just kind of be surround herself in luxury, but be accessible. And so, you know, casual luxury and with a little bit of like punk rock vibe to it is kind of what our photos look like. And it's accessible, but it it still sets itself apart and Mm -hmm. it's very cinematic. And I think that that's really where where it really kind of defines us as cinematic, accessible luxury. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what I love, um, branding is one of the things that if I were just changing my career completely, I'd go to school to be a graphic artist and specialize in branding. And what I hear in that is you have found a way to have people know what to expect and have a cohesive experience that all the things you put out there. And I'm assuming if I looked at any handouts or anything with your luxury brand, especially 
it would seem very much like you and Joe, that it's not like I've given classes on branding and I took two photographers, Jesh Derox, you might know him. He's good friends with Steve. That's how I met Steve. Do you know who Jesh is? I don't. Um, well, he's a very soft, very poetic. And then at the same time, there was, his name is escaping me, but he always wore shirts with like the Harley Davidson angel flames and he had a faux hawk and his <laughs> his website was very like him and Jesh's was very like it asked you questions and then then said oh hello angelic flower how's your day today and <laughs> I would I would show people these two websites and say you know what if you saw this one with the guy with the faux hawk only Jesh showed up Right. That would be confusing. And so what, what I'm getting is that people are drawn to what you do because your quote unquote branding, your identity, everything you put out there is very copacetic. I like that word. I don't know if it's the right one for this. Yeah, but it's a good word. Like it fits you. Like you're bringing your whole authentic self. She is. You found a great way to have it be a nice combo package. So, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's precisely what we kind of discovered. And not again, not that we're doing anything special, but people hire us because they they want uh, to be around us. And yes, we have to take great photographs, and but that's the easy part. Like we we know how to do that. Mm-hmm. The uh, part that requires effort and 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 struggle and all the hard work over the years is is learning how to um, be authentic. And then mm-hmm. deliver that to people in a way that they can understand it, and it's digestible and palatable, and they don't uh, feel either intimidated by that or unimpressed by it, but somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And we we want people to see that we're successful. We want them to know we're successful because successful people want to be around other successful people. Yeah. And so everything about our image, um, we're comfortable showing accessible luxury in the way we act and the way we dress and the way we carry ourselves in public and the way we, our personas are online. It's very much, um, a hundred percent who we are. And, um, that authenticity, I think is really what shines through and wants people, uh, attracts people to us. Yeah. Yeah. Like me hearing you speak and being like, (laughs) Oh, he's got a lot of good stuff he's putting out there. And selfishly, I thought I want to talk to him for at least an hour so. Always have this hidden agenda, <laughs> right? No, that's okay. I mean, agendas are good as long as you're like uh, genuine in in uh, in approaching them, right? So yeah. that's probably what has helped open doors um, for me personally through my life because I uh, struggled and have struggled and you know on and off my whole life with ADHD. I had a really difficult time in school, um, just getting homework done, and so I actually am like a high school dropout. Um, and I did a little bit of college here and there over the years, but I don't have any type of degrees, but I was always really, really good at opening doors and um, presenting myself to people and getting opportunities. And I think that's probably the, you know, outside of my wife being a really stable driving force in my life, uh, my ability to open doors is, uh, and, and use the tools I have has been why I'm able to get where I'm at. Mm. So I have had several coaching clients and friends in the business who also have 
diagnosed ADHD. And so I would love to have some tips from you about how to navigate that, how to use that to your advantage, how to not just be kind of lost in the starting this and then, oh, squirrel doing something else. I think you have some tips for us. Yes. Well, I I mean, I can give you some insight for sure. Yes. Let's have insights. Yeah. For me, I didn't deal with mine, you know, like when I was a kid, um, you know, of course you can't deal with it on your own. And also back going into the eighties and nineties, it was very much, uh, you know, they just gave kids Ritalin and sent them on their way, or they didn't do much of anything about it. I, I ended up on the side where not much was done about it. It was brought up a couple of times when I, you know, my mom would meet with the school counselor to figure out why I don't have any good grades yet. I get like hundred percent on every test I take. How come he can't sit down and do his homework? Why can't he sit still in class? Why is he, you know, always have a million things he's starting and can't finish them? And it was more questions than answers. And I imagine, you know, my mother and I have talked about it and there probably could have been some more that was done, but it just really wasn't. And unfortunately, that really stunted my growth as a person. And I always feel like I'm about 10 years behind where I should be. Mm. But what but what really changed for me is I, I basically spent my entire adult life and I'm 46 years old. I'll be 47 in July. I spent my entire adult life, like failing forward, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, and moving, moving a little bit, getting a little bit better all the time. Get my life was improving here and there, but just absolutely struggling and having frustration and anger and mm-hmm. just disappointment constantly. And I, and it was normal for me. I thought that's just what life was like. Mm-hmm. Uh, until about a year ago, it's been almost exactly a year that I was inspired by a friend of mine who made a post in a private Facebook group mentioning that he has ADHD. He went and saw a doctor, and um, they helped him, you know, with medication, and immediately changed his life. And I was like, "Well, that's that's crazy," but I got to do that because I just can't live like this anymore. Um, so I called my doctor right away, which is hard when you have ADHD, picking up the phone's hard, but I just decided I had to do it because I was so motivated by my friend and I did it immediately instead of pushing it off, got an appointment within a couple of weeks, I was in seeing a doctor and had medication that within literally a couple of hours of taking it completely changed my world. Wow. And so I went from being a person who, for instance, having, um, not having to do, getting to do this um, interview with you today would have created an incredible amount of anxiety for me. And not because I don't like talking, not because I don't enjoy doing it, but because thinking about having to do it is one of the hardest things in the world. And having to sit down and just do it is so difficult with ADHD that you become almost paralyzed from it. And um, I do a lot of public speaking and I do a ton of, I've done a ton of entertaining over the years and all the things that lead up to getting on stage to speak or getting on stage to perform at a show or um, writing a presentation for a, uh, for a conference, those things cripple you mm-hmm. and you only are having fun when you're on stage or when you're giving the talk, but all the prep work is absolutely dreadful and it comes from the inability to focus but then what drives you to go get on stage is because you need a dopamine response. Mm. So it's, it's this uh, sick cycle where basically, you know, with a, it's a neurodevelopment disorder where you don't have any dopamine. And so you're always looking for a dopamine response and something to give you excitement, but you can't get yourself motivated to get to the place to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I can. Brutal. Yeah, I can relate a lot to that anxiety with photography. I'm always nervous 
on the way, especially weddings. One of the reasons I had to retire as a wedding photographer is just the stress of holding that awareness that six months from now, three months from now, next week, I have a job. I have to be there. I need to be healthy enough to do it. I, you know, all the, all that stuff just wore me out. Whereas if someone knocked on my door that day and said, everything's ready, come shoot the wedding. Cool. So I really, I understand that. And especially in these COVID days where it's very, very quiet around my house, I notice that anxiety more about some things that are just easy, but the thought of it creates that. So um, are there other tips that are, and I, I, for one, I'm really excited to hear that medication is giving you like, it sounds like a whole new life in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, I don't, I guess I'm not super comfortable giving tips because I'm not a, a mental health professional and okay. I can only tell you what works for me and how it works for me and why, but giving tips, it, I don't know if it's helpful because I don't know enough to be helpful. Okay. Um, it could be dangerous, right? But, but I think that the biggest thing you do is not sit on your butt and go okay. get it done. Yeah. So <laughs> So when I, I guess I'll just ask, see if I can ask that in a different way. Are there some other strategies that help you, Yeah, especially in your business to get things done that need to be done, be focused, relax, you know, whatever would support other people, you know, where it's a challenge for them as well? Yeah. So basically Siri runs my life. I, I basically had to learn to tell, to make myself ask Siri to do everything for me as far as setting reminders or putting things in my calendar. Mm-hmm. And it's become a huge um, tool for me so that I can really minimize forgetting things because that mm-hmm. was a huge part of it too in the past. I don't really have that problem anymore, but um, my inability to remember to do anything was a huge impediment to to success. Mm-hmm. Um, and now the cool thing is, is that I just tell Siri to do X, Y, Z I'm good. And it's in my calendar. It pops up. It reminds me to do something and I just go do it. And my medication helps me to just go do it and not feel like I have to blow it off. And I get joy now from sitting down at my desk and just grinding out like a talk that I have to give. It's fun for me. Whereas before it gave me an absolute, like, like just paralyzing anxiety and breakdown Mm -hmm. where I just don't want to deal with it. So, um, you know, using, using lists, using calendars, using reminders and tasks are, uh, paramount, I think, to um, making this making this uh, all work, especially if you don't want to use medication and not and not everyone's into medication. I'm a big science person and I love science and I understand science. Uh, it's always was my favorite subject, even though I failed out of school. So I'm a big fan of learning and education and reading and studying, and I'm perfectly happy uh, taking medications that are safe and established. So. Uh, you know, for me, I was glad to get medicated and it's completely changed my life. It's made my relationships better. Um, I'm easier to get along with one of the strange side effects for some people with ADHD is that you are um, angry a lot because you are overloaded Mm. just trying to get through the day. And so I could find myself thinking of something and trying to function. And my wife or one of my kids would come in and ask me a question. And I was immediately like aggravated and I didn't realize Mm -hmm. I was doing it. It's something that they're always like, why are you in such a bad mood? I'm like, I'm not in a bad mood. I'm fine. And, and then, <laughs> you know, and I had no idea. And, but I was, I was mad all the time. Mm. And as soon as I started taking medication, that all went away. 
and I, and it was so many like, um, just light bulbs going off from the medication helping me that like, so now my relationship with my wife is like a million times better. I'm so much easier to get along with. And I'm not mad all the time. And I actually can tell now what real emotions are versus these ones that are just happening because of a, a an ability to, you know, create dopamine and be able to function through the day. Mm-hmm. So Jason, thank you for sharing that because I have some family members that, uh, just the slightest something and all of a sudden they're explosive and they are diagnosed ADHD. I don't know if either of them are medicated. One of them in order to be successful in college, there was actually a, a term where she took a class on her ADHD and how to navigate, uh, classes and get things done. And it was really, really helpful for her. And she graduated, you know, high grades with honors. So yeah. The other thing, have you ever heard of the Colby test, K-O-L-B-E? I don't know. I, I, I probably have, but I'm not certain. So it's like a 20 year old thing, you know, that was more of a thing quite a while ago, but it measures how we accomplish things in life. So it's not a personality test. It's just about that when you take the test, there's four categories and you'll have a score on each one. And one of them is called quick start. And I'm very high in quick start, which means I have ideas all the time. You know, my brain is always running and I'm willing to leap without having the, you know, the parachute completely built on something and working with my coach, what she helped me do is categorize what's two things I'm going to accomplish by the, this month or next month or the next three months. Mm -hmm. So when the spin happens, which some of it is just, you know, creative thoughts, I could do this, I could do that. I could do this, that I can reel myself back and say, Thanks for sharing. Right now, this is what we're working on, and these are the next steps. And mm-hmm. I love that you said list because I make those those tasks and those lists so that I can reel back to, okay, like I would not have gotten this podcast launched, and I would not have gotten in the habit of reaching out and finding people and mm-hmm. you know making sure I got things to my editor. If I hadn't put that as for these two months, it's like these these tasks are on fire. The other mm-hmm. things, uh, you know, just like it, it really helped me not be distracted by my own potential of everything mm-hmm. I could do. Mm-hmm. So uh, listeners, you might, it's K-O-L-B-E dot com. It also took guilt away from me because I always wondered how I could have had a 40-year successful career, given that in my mind, a certain way that we're supposed to be organized in order to be successful is Mm -hmm. not how I've lived my life. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered is if I had had all of the things in place and doing them step-by-step the way that I think I, you know, I thought I should, for me, it's like an anchor. And it weighs me down and I never would have been able to, to fly. So yeah, we're so, our brains are so 
interesting and oh, it's, fascinating. Uh, yeah, it's incredibly fascinating stuff. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I'm also I'm also thinking that finding ways to just build in dopamine, endorphins, all of yep. that, keeping that in our regular schedule makes it like I I was uh, addicted to my own adrenaline, which when I got tired of that addiction is when I had to quit weddings because weddings are such an adrenaline rich opportunity to be my own chemical factory. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, after I started taking medication, I started feeling emotions on things and started mm. uh, getting goosebumps. Like I didn't get goosebumps for, I forgot they existed because I didn't get them oh. because nothing ever made my spine tingle. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. I never got that excited or got chills or anything like, oh, it gives me the chills. Like I didn't get mm. that um, because there was no dopamine being released in my brain from something that should elicit an emotional response like that. Uh, and so it was very strange uh, when I started taking medication and still it's a year later and I can get chills just talking about chills mm-hmm. <laughs> versus versus never feeling things like that, never getting into any excitement. And so you're always looking for this dopamine rush, which is very much why I became an entertainer. I Being on stage gave me something that just was gone 23 hours out of the day, but that one mm-hmm. hour I could get on stage just energized me and gave me everything I needed. And I was always trying to fill this like empty void in myself, um, which I didn't understand why it was there. And it was it was uh, you know my ADHD and lack of having a dopamine response and just uh, being on stage and becoming an entertainer is kind of naturally what where that led to and a, and a lot mm-hmm. of us a lot of creatives do that a lot of creatives suffer from ADHD and deal with ADHD and a lot of entertainers do and it's uh, a lot of mental health stuff that goes on for anybody that's in entertainment or arts absolutely yeah because otherwise we'd be comfortable sitting in an office typing. <laughs> Right. <laughs> or, or something. Right, right. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I can just sense that there are people listening who this is giving them comfort, knowing that there's the ability to be as successful as you've been and will continue to be, I'm sure, along with whatever might be some challenging factors. So um, you know, thank you. I know it does a lot of service for people to know that they're not alone and that it it's like air quotes, a challenge, um, but not something that can't be, I wouldn't say overcome, but managed, managed. <laughs> like I, I discovered several years ago that I'm what's called a highly sensitive person, HSP. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a great podcast called Unapologetically Sensitive, if anybody wants to learn more about that. And it's a gift and a curse mm-hmm. because everything is loud. Every If I had a, a tag on my shirt right now, it's all I could focus on. When I was a kid, my mom had to clip the elastic on my underwear or I couldn't pay attention in school. Oh, wow. And, And yet it also gives me the ability to kind of feel what my clients are feeling. Being highly sensitive means I can pay attention to light and the birds and all kinds of subtleties in life that are beneficial as an artist. And Mm -hmm. also, you know, is really 
makes life really fun and wonderful. And I have had to discover tools to help me use it to my advantage and also to share with people around me that mm-hmm. can be frustrating. Like, I don't know, like in a restaurant, if we are seated where there's a vent and air blowing on me, it's like, uh, I can't, I have to move. I can't just get over it. So all of those things that are how we're wired, knowing that that it's okay, it's not a roadblock, and it can be a blessing. Anyhow, so thanks for sharing all of that. Yeah, of um, course. Well, we have just a little time left, and I know you have some expertise in helping your clients build trust, which leads to better sales. I want to share something interesting, though. As I was searching for my quote that I started with from Werner Heisenberg mm-hmm. about uh, quotes about experts, 90% of them were negative. It surprised really? me. They were like, an expert is something who thinks they know everything in the world and accomplish nothing. Or it, like, <laughs> So I was surprised that the word expert has that kind of connotation. So. Yeah, pushback. This is curious. So if someone wow. wants to search that, it, I just I had to keep searching for something positive. I was excited to learn that one of the things you like to share about is building trust through being an expert. And when I'm coaching in my sales program, the core of it is to position ourselves as the trusted advisor. So we're kind of on the same page with that. So can you share more with our listeners and me about what do you mean by client experience and being the expert, which leads to trust, which leads to better sales? Yeah, I mean, you explained it pretty well, but essentially um, when people are are confident that you know what you're doing and confident that you're going to lead them down the best path, they're okay uh, letting you lead and letting you um, guide them through an experience, whether it be, you know, to, you know, taking the uh, Appalachian Trail and, and, and expressing your expertise and how you're able to be the leader of the group doing that, or whether it's sitting down with a client discussing how best we might be able to serve them in creating artwork for their home or creating an album for their coffee table, whatever the case may be, helping them see that we are a great resource for them and somebody that they can uh, uh, respect and understand and gets them and also can push back against possibly ideas that would be uh, ineffective or, or bad for them, they learn to trust us from that. And so a good example of that would be, um, you know, if you have a client that lives in a uh, apartment in Manhattan and, and the whole thing is just glass and it's just beautiful and there's, there's not a lot of wall space, but they're sitting there telling you that they love wall art, you might have to say, well, look, I understand you love wall art, but if you, if, if you purchase a big piece of wall art from us and have nowhere to put it in your home, you're going to be really disappointed <laughs> here in a few weeks when you get it. You might be better served with uh, albums, for instance. You might better be better served doing a piece of artwork that can be freestanding or a piece of artwork that can hang from a ceiling 
but let me help you show you what that can be. And then they're going to go, oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's a really unique idea or way of approaching uh, what I thought would have been good for me because I saw it somewhere else. Um, yeah. you know, but it doesn't quite fit them. And so those kind of things really help people go, Oh yeah. All right. I got it now. And, and that kind of stuff is where you start building trust with people. Um, people always say the customer's always right. And we you know if it's a hamburger, yeah, probably. <laughs> but when they're spending, you know, $5,000 on a piece of artwork, you know, it's important for us to explain to them how come sometimes it might be better to get a different piece or to get a different style. Right. Um, same thing with with um, you know into automotive sales. I'm a big a big car person. I love cars, and you know if you walk into a car dealership and you got three little kids in tow and a baby and a and a thing over your shoulder, and the guy tries to point to the Corvettes, it's probably a weird kind of exchange. You know, it's like, hey man, you like you need a Corvette? It's like I got three kids right here, man. Why would I need a Corvette? You know, and mm-hmm. and picking up on those types of signs. And instead of making assumptions, asking questions and listening to your clients and understanding what their needs are, then giving them uh, solutions is what's going to help them see you as an expert, which is what then builds their trust in you. So if I were a car salesman and someone comes in with a bunch of kids in tow, I'm going to say, hey, tell me about your family. Tell me about what you're looking for. Tell me about your needs. Tell me about your lifestyle. Instead of just going, hey, I got a really expensive Corvette here I could sell you. Right. Uh, and that's what so, I'm talking about. Yeah. And what I'm hearing is some of maybe you already did this before hanging out with the great and powerful Steve Saparito, but his discovery calls are pretty much what you just described, right? The build the relationship, find out what they need, gather information. Um, you had a great list there and I thought I'd remember it and then didn't write it down. But uh, am I on track there that you, yeah, yeah. I mean, beginning? We, we don't, yeah, we don't necessarily do those because those weren't something that worked for us, but we still make sure we listen to people and at least um, get a really good understanding of what they need so that we're not leading them down the wrong path. And I'm sure that's, uh, you know, it's a much, much abridged version of Steve's, uh, you know, way of doing discovery calls where he may spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, even a half hour talking to someone and really peeling back layers. We're not getting that involved because that didn't work for us, but we're definitely listening to people and letting them share with us and uh, asking questions uh, that can help lead us and them to the place that they probably need to be. Right. So what I hear, which I do as well, is that you're establishing yourself as the leader. Right. And for me, I'm always pre-qualifying my clients, potential clients, to see if they can be led. If they give mm-hmm. me a lot of pushback, if they insist on things, if they only care about the money, uh, if they want to negotiate my prices, if they want to tell me exactly where and what time we're going to do a session. And I know it is not a good idea and it's not the right time and they insist on it, then I know I'm not right for them because I'm the driver of what I do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because and an example you're giving is if you went ahead with what the client was saying and you went ahead and they said, look, I want to take uh, noon photos, summertime on the beach then have this beautiful skies and all these, you know, dramatic looking, uh, you know, backgrounds, you would have to push back and say that doing that at noon in the middle of the summer 
is not going to give you any of the things you're asking for. But if you just showed up and did it, your client's going to be mad at you. They're not going to look at themselves and go, hey, I probably shouldn't have demanded to do a noon shoot in the middle of the summer at the beach. I probably should have listened to my my photographer and and do it at, uh, at sunset or an hour after, whatever the case may be. I should have listened to my photographer. And that is really where you would have to say, if they don't want to let you be the expert you are, they obviously don't trust you. Um, right off the bat, and they don't want to learn to trust you. And it's not a failing necessarily on your part, although it can be. Uh, but you know, you have to be really, really, really confident. And if you're not confident, you have to act as if you're confident. Mm. Um, and it takes a lot of pe- a lot of work to get there. Uh, you know, acting as if acting as if anything uh, when you're not great at it um, is a real skill. And that's something that kind of I was talking about earlier that got me through life and kind of helped open doors for me was, was acting as if I, I belong in certain spaces where I obviously didn't, mm-hmm. but I helped convince people that I did and it opened lots of doors. And it's how I kind of um, got through life um, until got to a point where I actually truly did belong. Mm. So how is it that you felt in some circumstances, like you didn't belong before you started acting as if? Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, you, you can walk into a place and you stand there and you realize that the things that people are talking about are things you just literally have no understanding of, mm. um, no matter what it is, whether it's photography or whether it's business or politics or, uh, you know, writing or, uh, education, any, any topic really. So what I did was I loved reading. That's the one thing that I could sit down and do. Mm. And I love to just learn about things. And so my natural curiosity helped me to, develop at least a small understanding of many, many topics. And so I could come into a space and at least listen and understand what was going on and then and, and come up with something uh, to say that was um, either poignant or funny or got people's attention and then got them to want to engage with me. And then mm-hmm. I could kind of steer things into a place where I was uh, comfortable and build relationships that way. So it really is a... Um, you know, it's it's strange to say it, but it's manipulative, not in a negative way, uh, but it helps you survive. It's a survival tool, right? When you right. when you have nothing else. So I learned to survive by uh, learning how to insert myself into places I didn't belong or wasn't supposed to be, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then creating opportunity for myself. Right. So then people are comfortable with you, and they're not sensing your own discomfort. Um, what I love about being an entrepreneur uh, is any areas where we are not as strong, it may be like with the being the the leader and the expert, maybe some people have a hard time saying no or asserting their own opinions or are not comfortable in certain environments around certain people. When we realize that overcoming those challenges makes our business thrive, Surprise, surprise, those challenges also uh, make us more comfortable in our skin and in our other life. And do you know what I mean? And it's like, as we grow, it pushes us to grow. And then we're more able to say no in our personal life and things like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I like to refer that as the art of saying no. (laughs) Yes. And you got to get really comfortable not needing you want to get to a place where you you have to be okay saying no and turning down things that don't work for you because you aren't worried about the money and I'm not worried about it not because you have a bunch 
but because you know that if you say no now, that you can generate revenue the way you need to do it later. And it's okay if you're, you know, if you don't get the $75 job when you're just starting out, if it doesn't feel right and waiting for the right opportunity that might come just a day later or or two days Mm -hmm. after that. And we quickly figured that out that saying no to anything that we don't want to do actually helped us make more money than we ever thought we could. And I have a really good example of where not saying no to somebody actually cost us an incredible amount of money. And it still does to this day. Uh, going back to around 2015, a, um, a local photographer who isn't a photographer anymore, I don't think she's even around here anymore, but she asked us to photograph her small wedding. And the whole time we like, oh, this isn't a good vibe. I don't really think this is going to work out. And we didn't listen to ourselves and we just said, sure, we'll do it. Um, so we booked it and then about, and, and then, you know, a month goes by and she hasn't paid her deposit and, you know, a little more goes by and she, then she finally paid a little bit of money and we're like, this is never, she's never going to pay our rate. It's never going to work. Um, about two months later or something, we get a call from a longtime client who we've done all of their kids' weddings. We've done all their family portraits for years and they were spending $10,000 every year on brand new wall art, replacing it all in their homes. Um, they would literally go through and take all the wall art down have a new shoot and buy all new wall art every year. Mm. Again, weddings, albums, everything. Uh, This client calls us up and goes, Hey, our kids flying in from overseas and they're going to get married. And it's on this day. And I go, Oh my God, we have that other wedding that day. It's on the same day as this wedding. We should have said no to, and we knew all along it wasn't going to work. And we tried to figure out a way to work around it. And we just couldn't. And we'd confirmed with the first client that booked the one that wasn't being really reliable that yes, everything's cool. Yes. We're going to do the wedding. It's all fine. I'll have it all paid off soon. So we had to turn down this other family who we worked for for years and made a fortune working for, and they loved us. Um, and then about a few weeks later, the other, the first client calls back and goes, Hey, wedding's off, not doing it. Ain't happening. Sorry. And we're like, Oh, great. And so we called the second client who we'd always worked with and who was, you know, we'd done great things with, and they're like, sorry, uh, we hired someone else. And so you guys aren't doing it. Um, and we never heard from them again. And so we see them occasionally and they're like, Hey, how's it going? But they've never asked us to take another photo. We see that they are now using another photographer for all their family's photos. All their kids are adults now and they have families. They're doing all their pictures. Um, and we've literally now seven years later, have never worked with them again because we told them no one time. And we're probably talking about in somewhere in the area of $75,000 in revenue we lost because we didn't turn down the wrong client. Mm-hmm. We should have, and yeah. we didn't listen to our instincts. Yes. Powerful yeah. lesson. Right. I, there was a wedding, uh, the last wedding that I ever booked where I didn't feel like it was a good idea. <laughs> it kind of became a competition between me and a couple of other photographers. And so I ended up wanting to win the job, even though I didn't feel good about the job and it was a horrible day and i i realized oh i kind of lost i didn't i didn't win and i said that's the last time under any circumstance i'm going to say yes to something that just doesn't feel right but also i learned the hard way you have to be careful how you turn somebody down and right. that's a whole other story but it cost me 
many, many, many weddings and referrals because I told somebody uh, we weren't a good fit. Mm -hmm. And even though she was ready to book me, then she went and told everybody in the industry all kinds of things that weren't true about me. So, yeah, which it still would have led to disaster if I had done the wedding because she's a horrible person. But (laughs) (laughs) no, that's that's tough, though. And in the big picture, it didn't hurt me in life. You know, it's all part of business. Well, we are running out of time. I'm sad about that because (laughs) I think there's a whole other hour that I'd love to chat with you. Um, We'll do it again sometime. Yeah. So two questions. You bet. How can people get in touch with you, uh, see your work, kind of get in your world? Uh, so they can follow us on Instagram and they can always write us and say hi there. Um, our Instagram handle for our business is at Imagine Photo AZ. Just Imagine Photo AZ. Uh, my personal is just the Jason Marino, T H E Jason Marino, M A R I N O. Um, so they can follow on either of those if they wish and feel free to say hi anytime. Our Facebook is just under Imagine Photography. If you type the URL, it's just like fb.com slash Imagine Photo AZ. So we'd love to have you guys follow us there. And again, yeah, reach out, say hi. Um, we're always happy to uh, talk with people and you can definitely see us. We'll be at uh, Imaging USA in Yay. 23. We'll, we'll be at WPPI in 23. I'm going to be at Portrait Masters. This fall, um, I don't think it's been officially announced. I'm probably going to get in trouble, but I'm going to be emceeing Portrait Masters so um, in Phoenix. And we'll be doing lots of fun stuff like that. So you'll see us right. all over the place. And if you ever want to work with us, I know you've got your own business going on, Lucy, but we do different things, of course. But if anybody ever needs uh, you know, a little bit of help learning about things from us, we're always happy to do that, too. So we're welcome awesome. to do that. So awesome. yeah. yeah. And that is all in the show notes. If people are like, Wait, I didn't write that down. Check the show <laughs> notes. <laughs> so is there either something that you haven't shared that you'd be like, oh, I wish I'd mentioned that, or just a last thought, what you would like people to ponder in their hearts as we bid a fond adieu? <laughs> well, I, I want people to um you know, if anybody was like me and really um has dealt with ADHD for a long time and just can't seem to figure it out. I, I really encourage them to go to professional and talk about it instead of just trying to do it on your own. I mean, there's a reason people are professionals. There's a reason they're experts. We talked about this, let them be experts and trust them. And if things don't feel right, find somebody else, but you really do need help. It's okay to get help. It's okay to ask for help. And it's okay to be open about that because yeah. being open is what helps other people. And my friend being open is what helped me. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, it's changed my life completely. So please get the help you need and watch your life change. Thank you. All righty. Well, I want to remind people to stay tuned for my quick wrap up. And Jason, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun and I just love your energy. And I feel like charged and ready to have an even better day today because of this conversation. So thank you very much. Very kind of you. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate everything and appreciate you being persistent and getting me in here. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Jason. So hello and welcome back to the final part of today's conversation with Jason Marino. Remember to go to lucydumascoaching.com, Lucy with an I, for some 
ways to get in touch with me if you have questions or anything else. So uh, just a little quick wrap up here, which I'm thinking is going to be a little bit of a challenge because we covered so many things in just such a natural way that taking notes on it is I wasn't like a step one, step two, step three. Um, but we found out a little about where Jason came from and how he built a wedding business and then how they decided uh, that it was too much work. They had four kids. So they shifted to portrait photography. They live in a small town, which gives them a lot of visibility, but they get work from big towns within four or five hours from them. We talked about how he has a luxury business that he calls accessible luxury, and he has a volume studio and how he keeps those completely separate to avoid confusion. We talked a little bit about the power of authenticity as we communicate to people who we are and what they can expect about the power of knowing yourself, being yourself. And then Jason shared with us some of his challenges with ADHD and how for him a year ago, medication made everything in life work better for him. Um, He's careful to say that he's not telling people to run out and everybody get medication, but to get help and see if there are ways that you can um, manage any mental health issue to uh, make things work in our business. And then we talked a lot about the client experience, building trust, becoming the expert, uh, acting as if we're confident, (laughs) and so many other good things. So um, keep listening, keep growing, keep imagining that I'm sending you a great big hug from here in my home in San Diego, California, USA world. (laughs) And that's all for now. Bye. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.